Good morning. I would like for you guys to imagine uh, stepping out of an airplane in a country where all around you people are talking, but in a language you do not understand. You try to read the signs to tell you which direction you need to walk in, but you do not know what they say. You are giving a piece of paper as your clue, telling you to go to the statue of a horse. Then you must attempt to get a taxi, find the statue, which you have no idea what it looks like, and once you arrive, you must, once you finally figure out where you are going, you must complete a puzzle before you can find your next clue as to where you will be heading. Hello, my name is Marie Gillum. I'm a senior at Jefferson City High School. Over spring break, my family and I took a cruise to Mexico. We stopped at Ports in Cozumel and Progreso. When we visited Cozumel, my family and I participated in what they call down there the Amazing Cozumel Race. The race is based off the television show, The Amazing Race. In case you have never seen The Amazing Race, here is the summary of what happens. To begin with, there are 11 teams of two. The racers then are given clues to find around different cities around the world. Every week on the race, the teams travel to a new country. Every week, the last team to check into the finish line is eliminated. In our race, in Cozumel, we were able to see a map of the course before it starts and to use it throughout the race. In the true amazing race, you are running blindly around an unknown city where you do not speak the native language. Here is what you know. You know where the starting line is, a clue to start you in the right direction of your journey, and that you are going to end in a finish line. In the Amazing Cosmel race, our race spot, our racing starting spot, started in a restaurant called the Three Amigos. Yes, a restaurant based off the old, tele, old off the old movie, The Three Amigos. It was a movie in around the 80s. I'm sure some of you have seen it. <laughs> the restaurant was playing the movie. It was decorated by pictures from scenes of that movie. Now, in case you don't know my family. Let me sum up what this movie does to our household. My brother and dad can quote the entire movie. To entertain us in the car, my brother and dad will quote the entire movie. Randomly in my house, you will hear... The three amigos. Constantly. So... When we arrived in this restaurant and we were surrounded by pictures of Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short, my brother and dad were in heaven. As we sat at the table waiting to start the race, my dad says to my brother across the table, wherever there is injustice, and my brother answered, you will find us. Then my dad goes, wherever there is suffering, and David just had to say, we'll be there. By now, people within the restaurant, are beginning to look at our table. Dad then says even louder, wherever liberty is threatened, and David answered, you will find, and then they both started standing up and saying very loudly in unison, the three amigos, and then proceeded to do the amigo salute. My mom and I were so embarrassed, we pretended that we did not know these people. We wanted to disappear. <laughs> Once all the teams were gathered, in the restaurant, the people in charge loaded us into two big, ta two big taxis to take us into downtown San Miguel. 
At this point, we were not in the tourist part of Cosmo. They then gave us our first clue, and away we went. Now, I want you to picture around 30 people that do not speak any type of Spanish running around this town where the only language they spoke was Spanish. We're running around kind of like chickens would if their head was chopped off, as the expression is used. It was so bad that the townspeople have now learned, if you are on the Amazing Race because you act like this, that they would take one look at us and go, oh, Amazing Race, and then point us in the right direction. We were pretty bad at first. In our journey with Christ, our finish line is being in heaven with Jesus. In Hebrews 12.1, the end of the passage says, Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Currently in my life, I'm about to begin my race in college. In August, I will start a new chapter of my life at Lindenwood University. However, I'm about to finish my current race, graduating high school. In my race in high school, I have completed challenges that are as easy as what clubs and teams I wanted to be on, choosing which AP classes I wanted to take, learning how to study properly, for my parents teaching me how to drive, having a job, choosing and losing my friends, and beginning college visits, balancing school and extracurriculars, all leading up until senior year. By this point, I am at what I would call my last clue. When I complete this, I will be at the finish line, graduation in May. My last clue was one, of a diffi- was one of a difficult series of decisions. The last clue was choosing a college, what degree I wanted to get, and applying for scholarships to help me pay for college. For me, the easiest part of this was completing the college applications and applying for the scholarships. I knew the five colleges I was considering, so I tried to get ahead by completing all of my applications in the summer. My five colleges were Lindenwood University in St. Charles, Missouri, Missouri State University in Springfield, Webster University in Webster Groves, Southeast Missouri State University in Cape Cape Dorado, and finally, Oklahoma City University in Oklahoma. I know what you're thinking. I understand the schools in Missouri. That is a common thing to say, for money, you stay in state. But why does she only have one school that is out of state? Why Oklahoma? For me, I had decided my, na- my major was going to be dance and, another, and do a double major in elementary education because I love working with children and I want to be able to teach dance as well as teach children. Oklahoma City University is one of the top dance schools in the nation. I decided to go through the two-day audition process last October. I was accepted into the university with a scholarship. I was now faced with a difficult decision of should I follow my dream to be just a dancer and get, that un- and get the degree in a state that was not my home or stay in state and maybe save on money. With care for consideration, I decided that the school didn't necessarily fit all of my educational goals that I wanted to attend. So I decided on Lindenwood University in St. Charles. Like the amazing race, I know that where I am starting, at Lindenwood. I have a clue to start my journey my plan to double major in dance in elementary education. And I know where my finish line, which is, and I know that my finish line at that point will be to graduate college, but my true finish line is to live the life that God has planned for me and then to be in heaven with Jesus. My clue in my race is my plan for my future. I do not know what my next clue will be because I do not know where God will take me. In Proverbs 4.25.26, it is written, Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. 
mark out a straight path for your feet, and stay on the safe path. All I can currently do is stay on the path I believe I'm supposed to follow. In college, I may decide to change my major. I could decide to take a year off and dance. I could get injured. I could decide I want to teach high school, not elementary school. All I know, I do not know where my path is going to take me, but I do know that my faith in God and searching for the clues he leads me will help me find my path through him, and my faith will grow through him as well. God tells us in Romans 5.3 that we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. In the amazing race, the path is unknown as to how you will reach the finish line, but no matter what, eventually you will arrive. Maybe not as quickly as you were hoping for, or you may have lots of bumps along the way, but you will finish. I know that I will be in heaven with Christ because I'm trying to live the best I can by following him and following the path he's leading me to find. Now, to finish our story on Mexico, we turned out better in the amazing race than we had planned. We got second place out of 11 teams. My dad was thrilled. (laughs) I would also like to finish with the verse that I believe is a good reminder for us all. It is 2 Timothy 4.7. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Thank you. The uh, scripture verse that I'm going to be focusing on is from 1 John 4, 16 through 18. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So as a senior in high school, one item is almost constantly in the back of my mind, and that's college. And nothing is more frightening about college than the college admissions process, because in essence, I have absolutely no control over that. I get to write the essays, but besides that, I don't get to talk to the person who lets me in. And so my fate is really in the hands of this admissions counselor who gets to essentially play God gets to decide who gets in and who doesn't. And this is incredibly frightening because once I press send on that application, the entire process is out of my hands. And this feeling of powerlessness is not only frightening in the college admissions process, but also in our day-to-day lives because there's a ton of things that we simply don't have absolute control over. So what are we supposed to do when we're faced with these situations that we really can't control the outcome of? St. Thomas Aquinas, in his book, Disputed Questions on Truth, explains that even when we can't control the outcome of an event, one thing that our free will allows us to continue to control is how we respond to it. And so when we feel powerlessness, when we feel like there's this lack of control in our lives, we essentially, in my opinion, have two ways to respond. The first way we can respond is by essentially detaching ourselves from the situation. We can 
put up this facade like the outcome of the event doesn't matter to us. And this is something I do all the time. I project this persona that I simply don't care about how something ends up. Unfortunately, what this persona, what this facade actually does is instead of allowing us to avoid showing weakness and confronting this powerlessness that faces us and the fact that that's incredibly scary, what occurs is we lead this insular life, this life where we're afraid to make commitments because we're not sure we're going to be able to control those commitments or the outcome of those relationships. And oftentimes, I know I try and rationalize this action to myself by telling myself, so long as I recognize what's going on, so long as I can admit to myself I'm actually afraid and this is all just a facade, it's going to be okay because I can't lie to myself. However, sociologist Robert Antonio, in his paper with the rather daunting title, Nietzsche's Anti-Sociology, Subjectified Culture and the End of History, explains that what happens when we put on masks, to use his phrasing, or when we put up this facade, is eventually these masks begin to erode our face. And it gets to the point where it eats away at our core identity, to the point where we can't recognize ourselves without the mask on. And so, essentially what happens is this detachment destroys our core identity, and it destroys our ability to form meaningful relationships with those around us. So that being said, we're also presented with a second option. And the second option is obviously the more difficult one, because most of us don't choose to take this option. But if we refer back to the scripture passage, John assures us that there is no fear in love. Instead, what we have is God's perfect love casting out this fear. So the second option is really to, boils down to recognizing and also accepting that God is the one in control, and we don't have to face this fear because he has this perfect love for us. And, but as humans, obviously this is a hard pill to swallow, And the ironic part is that oftentimes we're more comfortable with putting our hands in the fate of some college admissions counselor who probably majored in something dumb like philosophy and now has to be a college admissions counselor. And we're not afraid, or what's even more scary for us is putting our fate in the hands of an all-powerful God. So the important thing here is making that leap. Because when we make that leap, when we have that faith in an all-powerful God who has a perfect love for us, that's when we begin to see that confidence. Not just confidence in the day of judgment like John talks about in this passage, but also confidence in our day-to-day lives. Um, Author Zig Ziglar claimed that confidence was going after Moby Dick in a rowboat and bringing the tartar sauce with you. And while he may have been making light of the nature of confidence, this quote still underscores the importance of confidence and how liberating that confidence can actually be from that stress of feeling powerlessness, like we don't have control. And this confidence only comes when we actually embrace the love God has for us and learn to accept that he's in control. And the the funny thing is, is regardless of whether we choose the first option and try and detach ourselves, or the second option, 
God's still the one in control. Putting up that facade doesn't somehow put us in the driver's seat. So the next time you're faced with a situation where you feel like you don't have control, or the next time you apply to college, I, I ask what you take away from this is that accept that God is the one in control and that we don't have to fear because he loves us and gives us the confidence to overcome the situations that we face. Thank you. Good morning, church. Um, My name is Hannah Watson, and as some of you probably know, I've gone to First Baptist since literally before I was born. (laughs) And uh, just a little bit about me. I'm super involved at my school with track and cross-country, show choir and student council, so I stay pretty busy. And whenever I get really stressed out or overwhelmed and I just want to break or I just want to procrastinate my homework, um, I'll get on the internet and start reading like short stories or poems just to past time, you know. So I saw a story a while back that um, I really, uh, that really stuck with me. So um, a teenage girl shared a story about a class at school in which her teacher asked the students, is love a feeling or is it a choice? And after a few minutes of consideration and conversation about it, the teenagers all came to the general consensus that love is a feeling. The teacher wanted them to prove themselves wrong, so she had them all interview several adults to get their opinions on the question. Every single adult they asked decided that love is actually a choice and a commitment that you work for every single day, even when the feeling fades. Now, I don't know if that's actually a true story. It was on the internet. Um, But I got a lot out of the message of it. (laughs) Um, And after thinking more and more about it, I connected the idea to not only a romantic relationship, but also a relationship with God. And if you translate this idea into terms of a faith journey... The teenagers are similar to many believers at the beginning of their journey with God, young and excited about the passionate and dramatic feelings and emotions. And the adults reflect believers as we spiritually mature. As we grow grow in faith, we realize that we won't be experiencing those goosebump-inducing God moments every single day. There comes a time when you have to choose to believe even if you don't feel it. Deuteronomy 30.20 says, Love God, your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. Oh yes, he is life itself, a long life settled on the soil that God, your God, promised to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is basically the Bible telling us that we have to choose to love God and he's not going to force us to love him. So for me, this idea is something that I struggle with a lot. Um, I I've grown up in church and the constant reminder that God loves me no matter what. And for many believers like me, which I know a lot of us at this church are, um, our faith journey can become repetitive and monotonous and sometimes even boring. Um, And God can feel extremely distant when we get into a mundane faith routine. And personally, I know what it feels like to be so distant from God that you don't even feel like you really believe anymore. Um, In a poem by St. John of the Cross, this is called The Dark Night of the Soul. During this period in my life, I came to church with my family every Sunday because I like donuts. (laughs) Um, I came to Wednesday night because all my friends came to Wednesday night. And I prayed at the dinner table with my family because that's just what we did. It's always what we did. Um, But there was nothing spiritual in my life. And I was just kind of existing. So during this period, I struggled a lot with my questions about God and all the things I've been taught my whole life. And just doubts. And... Just life kind of felt meaningless, and um, it kind of showed up in, like, the way I was acting. uh, I just became really distant from my family. Sorry. 
I became really distant from my family and close friends at school, and I made decisions that I've had to ask for forgiveness for. And what a fitting name that is, the dark night of the soul. (laughs) Everything just feels kind of dark. So in times like that, music is something that's always been, that's always been a huge part of my life. Um, I love worshiping, and during that time, even if I didn't feel like I was worshiping God, I just love singing at church. Like, that's always something that I just really enjoyed. Um, And we sing a song during the contemporary worship service um, that says, you're there in the darkest night of the soul. So we were singing that song a few months ago, and I had this moment. Again, it wasn't necessarily the goosebump-inducing God moment that wipes away every doubt or question you've ever had about God just for just because of that feeling but it was a it was a turning point in my life so even though I couldn't feel or see God in my everyday life I was thinking back on how I had accepted Jesus into my heart when I was eight years old when I was baptized and I realized that I had to make the choice then to choose to feel the love of God so the entire time He had been there with me in the darkest night of my soul. I had to believe that and have faith in that. Faith, by definition, means complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I had to completely trust. I had to to choose to believe because that's what faith is. Joseph Campbell, the guy who theorized the hero's journey archetype, said, The dark night of the soul comes just before revelation, when everything is lost and all seems darkness. Then comes the new life and all that is needed. That song during worship was my revelation. And it wasn't dramatic. It wasn't some huge event. It was just a small reminder from God that I really needed at that time. And maybe this message is your small reminder from God that we all need sometimes. So as Christians, we have to choose to love and believe in God, whether we feel it every day or not. And if you base your belief and love on, for God on only just a feeling, it's, a relationship is nearly impossible because you're not going to feel that every day. I can tell you that firsthand. Another equally impactful lyric from the same song I mentioned earlier is, you're there in the everyday and the mundane. If you choose to love God every day through the mundane, boring routine, you'll realize he's been there all along. Doubting and questioning are almost as big of a part as being Christian as belief is, and that's something I also had to realize. And that's okay, and God's with you in those times just as much as he is with you whenever you're on a God high after a youth retreat or something. We have to choose to believe in God through our doubts and questions, even if we don't feel him every day, because he is and always will be there. 